Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. The Athletic. Totally Football Show. Today, Champions League. Red not dead redemption for Onana and Maguire at Old Trafford while Dortmund give Magpies one for sorrow at St. James's. As Rick said, we'll always have Paris. We round out the midweek action. Marvel over Zaire Emery and look ahead to the weekend with the Manchester Derby and the return of the worst game in the history of the Premier League. All that and more in this Totally Football Show. Listener, thank you for joining us. And on Totally Today, Duncan Alexander. Hello, James. Also, Michael Cox. Hi, James. And the fresh in from Champions League land, Raphael Honigstein. Hello, James. Your mind's still a crackling with the sights and sounds of a busy midweek match day, eh, Raph? Yeah, it was good. Especially Wednesday. Did you like Wednesday? I liked Wednesday a what lot. What did you like about Wednesday? Uh, well, I was mostly watching Newcastle Dortmund, which mm. was a wonderful game. Especially if you uh, have German inclinations, very, very successful. PSG Milan looked good from what I saw. There were lots of goals on Wednesday. Yeah, there were some goals. goals. Well yeah. then on Tuesday. Michael, did you, uh, anything you enjoyed midweek? Quite enjoyed the Arsenal game. Mm-hmm. I thought it was just quite good intensity. Um, and yeah, Wednesday, just loads of goals. It was, it was like Boxing Day 1963. <laughs> really? Mm. Was it that many goals? How many goals were I mean, scored? not quite, but mm. it felt like a lot of goals. It felt like a lot because of Tuesday, I suspect. (laughs) Yeah, by comparison. Headlines from uh, a round of 16 matches. uh, Well, Bayern Munich, Manchester City, Barcelona, Real all continued their perfect starts. Man United won a Champions League match. That's only their second in their last six. 1-0 at home to Copenhagen. Celtic, who without a home win in the Champions League for almost a decade, took the lead twice against Atletico Madrid, but still only ended up with just a point. And in the fearsome Group F, Tables were turning. PSG going top now of the group after beating Milan 3-0-1. Newcastle dropped to third after defeat at home to Dortmund. Let's start with how Borussia bursts Newcastle's bubble. This is the Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. The crowd were all there. All fired up at St. James's for another big night after that PSG win. What did Dortmund do? Dortmund did something that we've rarely seen from Dortmund, which is to turn up and be resilient and play with maturity, play with conviction, great work rate. On the ball, they were really good. Everything that PSG weren't, everything that they weren't when they played at Paris, uh, were very meek. And also, I think Newcastle were caught out a little bit. They were very, very open. Uh, lots of counter-attacking opportunities for Dortmund. And they took one of them. And in the second half, then, they had to dig deep and Newcastle probably earned a draw, or did enough to get a draw at least. But Dortmund had earned, by contrast, or conversely, I should say, their luck, I think, on the night by, by turning up for once. And I'm writing about this game and I looked back. When was the last big away win for a Dortmund team in the Champions League against a proper side? And I went back all the way to 2002 and 2003 when they won 1-0 at Milan. Uh, you did have a 2-1 win at Arsenal, but that was late Wenger era Arsenal where, who were frankly shambolic in the Champions League in 2013-14. Yes, there was a 4-1 at Seville, but... A proper big European occasion. That's the, the biggest win I could find in, in over 20 years. And that explains why I think we're so surprised and, and pleasantly pleasantly surprised because the Dortmund team have developed a reputation for being a little bit meek, a little bit weak, fragile. And they were none of these things, mm-hmm. uh, which made it a historic night. Indeed. Very different approach to PSGs. They handed Newcastle the possession and... Uh, 
and the Magpies came unstuck. A bad night for Newcastle because they also lost Alexander Izak to a groin injury after 15 minutes. Jacob Murphy came on but dislocated his shoulder. He'll be out for a while. And we also saw a cameo from Sandro Tonali, who is set possibly today to be uh, starting his lung spell mm. out of the game. He did all right when he came on, but I think losing Isaac was the key moment. I mean, if you look at like momentum graphs, Newcastle probably had the lion's share of the first 15 minutes. And it's an issue with Isaac. He's a very good player, but he does get injured a lot. And, and as Raf said, from then on, Dortmund just grew into the game. And yeah, all right, Newcastle hit the bar quite a lot at the end. But it, it felt a little bit like all the stuff that worked against PSG, you know, whipping up the crowd that we saw again, you know, a lot of players celebrating winning throw-ins and stuff. And it just, it feels like you can only do that once a season. It's like, it's a it's a magical power that mustn't be, but like the ring, Frodo's ring. Or when you call a friend in who wants to be a millionaire. Yeah, yeah, they phoned a friend against PSG and... Well, Arsene yeah. Wenger had a theory that you could only really lose it with the players in the dressing room once a season. Because if you did it more than that, it, it would lose its effect. Mm. I can't imagine Wenger doing that much at all. Mm. But he was like, yeah, once a season max. Otherwise, it becomes a bit of a charade. Mm. Yeah. And we said after the last set of games that although they'd beaten PSG, the group is so tough that it wasn't didn't necessarily put them in a good position. And, and here we are. Are you forecasting more twists and turns ahead? In the group of De F, um, yeah. it's uh, They've obviously got two away games now. Yeah. Difficult away games. So... Um, it's definitely a learning experience. Yeah. One of those games is against uh, Borussia Dortmund, the Signal Duna Park. And then the others at Parc des Princes, where Wednesday night, Paris Saint-Germain shook off their St. James's Scheller King in some style with a 3-0 victory over Milan. Goals from Mbappé and Colomwani and Kangin Lee. But, ooh, a man-of-the-match performance from Mr. Assister Warren Zaye Emery. How excited is Jules about Warren Zaire Emery? <laughs> it doesn't take much to get Jules to excited about PSG player or anything connected with PSG. But in this case, I understand hmm. his enthusiasm because the kid is 17. Already played last year in the, uh, well, last season, I should say, in the last 16 game against uh, Bayern. Looked a little bit immature or perhaps overall by the occasion. But this season, very, very impressive. Very impressive player. Wonderful player. And, you know, one of the reasons why nobody mentions the name Verratti anymore mm. in Paris. What's so wonderful about Warren? I just uh, like his his poise. He always seems to have time on the ball, takes the right decision, makes the, look, makes the game flow, mm. takes the easy passes, doesn't give the ball away. Everything you want from a central well, midfielder. Yeah. He's pretty strong. He's, do you know he's currently leading the Champions League for assists? He's got three now. Extraordinary, 17 years of age. Mm. He's younger than Deal or No Deal, the TV programme, which puts it into perspective. <laughs> the classic yardstick yeah. for a young yeah. player. Can't believe it. Mm. Birmingham should retire number 33 in honour of him, I think. That's how good he is. <laughs> Very nice. Is it just me or are young prodigies just getting younger and younger? I don't know. Michael, are you, you, after this podcast, are going to do another one about players who peak at different ages, he said, segueing very neatly into that. Yeah, I am. I spent a good couple of days doing an article this week, basically finding strikers who... Oh, it's strikers. Well, it's it? mainly strikers. Right. But it's, uh, it's 17 strikers who enjoyed their best goal-scoring season at different ages. Have all the way from one 19... for each age? Yeah, one, Have you? all the way from 19 to 35. Because people always say strikers peak like late 20s. Right. And that is the average. Who peaked at 19? The original Ronaldo, I've got. Yeah, oh, in that yeah. season at Barcelona. And there's some good graphs. If you like graphs, yes. then don't listen to the podcast. Just read the article. Right. If you don't like graphs, listen to the podcast. Lisa, and that's the Football Tactics podcast. It is, it? yeah. Not really tactics, though, is it, Mike? No. The name's constrained us a bit. Or, right. or not. Yeah. Why peak, not? you should call it peak performance. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Get uh, Gordon Ramsay on. I think Massive, massive yeah. Cox would have been good. Yeah, we'd have brought in the click. <laughs> I think. But, yeah, rejected. Uh, who, who um, at the other end of the scale, the 35-year-old is? One of your favourites, I believe. Yeah, I mean, For... one of everyone's favourites, surely, yeah. Fabio Quagliarella. Yeah, so he was 35, at the start of the season he was 35. Right. Uh, when he uh, when he had his best ever goal-scoring season. Adariz for Athletic Bilbao. I mean, numerically, goal, although I think some of his finest goals were scored, I think it was it 06, 07? Well, that's the funny thing. He kind of went from a score of great goals to a great right. goal scorer, Fair. didn't he? Yeah. Mm. But certainly in terms of the raw numbers, 
he peaked, funnily enough, the season when uh, Cristiano Ronaldo joined Syria. Oh, yeah. So it was a uh, pretty Spurred impressive to get the, the cap yeah. of Caninieri. Mm. There's, there's some that you think, you read it and you're like, that makes sense, like Robbie Fowler at 20. Mm. Um, there's some, like Diego Costa's much earlier than, than I would have thought. Mm. Um, but the numbers back it up and you can't argue with the numbers. No, you can't, can no. you? Any, any other surprises or do you want to save them for the uh, Cox Unlimited podcast? Sorry, tactics? Um, not any surprises necessarily, but I think... I kind of gone through and found quotes from players about like why they peaked at different times. And right. Were well, there some poignant stories in there? Kind of. A lot of the early ones were obviously very, very quick players who then got a lot of muscle injuries. Right. Which is quite sad. Michael Owen? Uh, he's actually not one because he had a few seasons where he scored like the same amount. So he, oh. the graph would look boring. But okay. Robbie Fowler, similar case. Andy Cole, similar case. Okay. Yeah. Mm. Excellent. Hey, uh, Celtic, who caught there? Stirring performance against Atletico Madrid on what day was that? Was that Wednesday? That was Wednesday, was yesterday, wasn't it? Yeah. Yes. Uh, yeah, we saw bits of it. We did. They looked very impressive on the ball. Well, Horncastle was saying it's the best football he's seen in the Champions League this well, well, season. Yeah, he has been watching a lot of Italian, watching teams. The Italian teams. <laughs> 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 but poor Celta, it took the lead twice against Atletico Madrid. There was a lot of a lot of build-up to this game about a very bitter encounter from 1974. I saw the YouTube clip. Mm. It's brilliant. It's worth well, watching. It is, but there's a lot of Celtic players going in. Hey, absolutely. Yeah. And the thing was that uh, the Glaswegian press described Atletico as, as animals and they disgraced football because every single Atletico player back in 1974 got carded. Three of them were sent off. But every single every player? Single, uh, every is that over the course of two legs, though, no? I believe it was in the one game. Really? I might be wrong about that. But anyway, it was a, it was a fierce encounter. So y- you mean that was kind of... They Various went. different incidents. It wasn't like the referee ceremony. Oh, no, no, no. Yeah. It wasn't one big melee. Okay, right. They yeah. just the home side's version was that Atletico basically filled their team with bruisers and went in to kind of put reducers on on the various uh, boys' talents in the hope of ba- setting up the second leg and then bringing the better players back. And indeed, they won two 0 in Madrid. Went through to the final. And uh, promptly lost that. Uh, Atletico Madrid choosing well, to... Well, no, they didn't promptly lose it, James. Oh. Because it went into a replay. Ah, fair point. Thank you. Anyway, <laughs> this week, Atletico Madrid choosing to honour that performance in 1974 away to Celtic by wearing the exact same strip that they'd was sported that why? That Yeah. I did. I was wondering mm. when I watched yeah, that one. Magnificent they trolling. That's great. I didn't know that. That is, that is great. <laughs> like... Teams will do it for like winning stains. trophies yeah. and stuff, but that—that that is the most Atletico Madrid thing I've ever had. Very Diego Simeone, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. The thing I enjoyed about this game, and of course Celtic Park European Nights atmosphere is really good. There's a couple of great crowd sound effects. Don't know if you noticed this, because there was the Griezmann save penalty in the rebound, with an incredible roar and then complete silence. Mm. And then for the uh, for the second goal scored by Palmer. When he hit it, there was just mm. half, a se- uh, half a second of complete silence before it hit the post and went in. I don't know whether producer Charlie can uh, find those sound effects or whether he cares, but I, I, thought it can, was, I thought it was great. I wonder if he can play in a little bit of silence, that specific silence. <laughs> <laughs> just the silence. Mm. Charlie's team, anyway, twice went behind against Celtic, but pegged it back to 2-2 to stay very much in the hunt for a qualifying spot, their second a point behind Feyenoord, while Celtic remained bottom of the group with just the one point. Yikes. All right, what else happened? Bayern got pummeled. Rafa's still counting up the yellow cards in the 1974 clash, topically enough. What have you got, Rafa? Well, it's, um, I got 12 yellow cards for Atletico. Right, and there were three reds. The were they some of yellows or not? Yeah, there, was, there were yellows as well. All right. Um, but it says here Adelardo did not get a yellow card, so I'm not sure. Oh, okay, maybe one player. How that works out? I have to imagine he but got he a felt, hell when he got yeah. back to the dressing room. I know it does work out because because yeah. the keeper mm. Reina, who's Pepe Reina's father, nice, also got uh, yellow carded. So he did, did he? So twelve yellow cards, but one escaped. <laughs> anyway, Adelardo, he was a very fair player. Possibly so, Raf. <laughs> uh, tell us about Bayern Munich. Another win for them. They're unbeaten now in the group stages in 37 matches. They've won the last 16, although it was a bit shaky this time, away in Istanbul. Yeah, they were really under pressure. Um, I think 
Istanbul had 16 shots. Uh, apparently, that's the worst Bayern defensive performance in, in many, many years in the Champions League. But they got lucky. So then Ulreich was very good as well. And then in the second half, they took their chances and you could see the energy just dropping a little bit from, from Istanbul. But Thomas Tuchel was unapologetic. He said, you know, this is a team that hadn't lost in uh, 17 consecutive home games. And you had to ride the storm. You had to cope with the noise. Apparently, it was incessant whistling throughout. Harry Kane said afterwards, I've, I still haven't quite got my hearing back. He's talking to the media. And in a way, it's a little bit by design, this, this Bayern passivity, if you want to call it weakness, because they, under Tuchel, like to have teams come on to them, ideally defend better than they did. But they often look as if they're a little bit under the cosh, only to then create space for themselves and counterattack quite effectively. And that was really the story of the game once more. So good, very good result. Uh, fits into uh, a good spell of results, really through, throughout the season. But yet the football is poses sort of a few questions that I think haven't quite answered, haven't been answered yet. What, what questions are they, Raf? Well, the question is, can you play with this team so... It's not defensive, but can you be so passive and so deep, mm. uh, but at the same time if defend well? Because I think for this Bayern team, dropping deep and waiting for things to kind of break down for the opposition can bleed into uh, a pretty passive approach, and then they concede too many chances for my liking. I think they're better when they attack higher up the pitch, but uh, Tuchel has decided to play it that way, and so far it works out. But it, it explains also his fascination uh, perhaps some people at Bayern would say obsession with having a holding midfielder because usually Bayern have so much of the ball you think why do you need a defensive midfielder for this team well this Bayern team have relatively little of the ball and you need somebody who protects the back four more effectively than Kimmich and Goretzka whoever plays next to him do so I understand why Tuchel's been banging this particular drum so much yeah just to sort of back up the point that it was quite an end-to-end game there were 12 big chances in this game seven for Galatasaray five for Bayern um, Galatasaray missing six of theirs that's the by far the most in any game this season so it was just end-to-end wasn't it also continuing their perfect start Real Madrid and Barcelona who will be facing each other this Sunday in the Clasico Barcelona beating Shakhtar 2-1 Real Madrid defeated Braga on Tuesday was that 2-1, Niam, was it? 2-1? Yes, it was. And Jude Bellingham, who didn't score at the weekend, did get what turned out to be the winner in Portugal. That's his 11th of the season. Crikey. Manchester City won 3-1 at Young Boys. With Erling Holland ending his five-game goal drought, got a brace, a penalty, and a gorgeous second. Did you like his second goal, Mike? Very nice goal, mm. yeah. Uh, they did concede again, Manchester City... But look, look at this. You mentioned the number of chances that Bayern Munich have had. Do you know how many shots City have had in their three games so far? 81. 81. I mean, I'm no expert, but that sounds like a lot of shots. Big game for City, of course, this weekend as they take on Man United, who also won in the Champions League. We'll get some thoughts on their game Tuesday against Copenhagen and the Derby next. Football is bigger and more complicated than ever before. Just ask VAR. Check complete. It's fine. Perfect. Yeah. So the Daily Football Briefing is here to help, whether it's the World Cup. It's a kind of face-saving, everyone's happy, no one's a loser. Lionel Messi. As they say, he completed football. Or Manchester United. I mean, the performances all season have been questionable. That are making you quizzical. The Daily Football Briefing has all the answers you need for every football story that matters. And it does exactly what the name suggests. It's daily. It's brief. And it's all about football. The Daily Football Briefing from The Athletic, available wherever you get your podcasts. Don't just ride the index, seek to outperform it with Fidelity Active ETFs. Learn more at fidelity.com slash active ETFs. Before investing in any exchange-traded fund, you should consider its investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Contact Fidelity for a prospectus, an offering circular, or if available, a summary prospectus containing this information. Read it carefully. While active ETFs offer the potential to outperform an index, these products may more significantly trail an index as compared with passive ETFs. Fidelity Brokerage Services, LLC, member NYSE, SIPC. 
As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. This is the Totally Football Show, part of The Athletic Podcast Network. The Athletic is the only place you can read articles by Daniel Taylor, Amy Lawrence, Phil Hay, James Pierce, Ollie Kay, and the very best football writers around. It's a big derby on Sunday at Old Trafford, where on Tuesday night, Man United were victorious against Copenhagen. Rafa, you watched this game. Watched the game. Harry Maguire gave them the lead. Then another of the more popular players, Andre Onana, proved the hero of that dramatic finale. Talk us through it. Well, it was very dramatic because what looked like the late winner from Harry Maguire of all players, uh, much maligned, of course. Uh, brilliant header, has to be said. Also a very good cross, I think, from Ericsson to set up the set up the goal. Uh, substitution that really worked for Ten Hag. Uh, but then, of course, Scott McTominay gives away a penalty in the dying seconds. Who steps up to take it? The son of Henrik Larsson. Jordan Larson. Is he named after Michael Jordan? I wonder. I don't know. I don't or know. Jordan. Uh, anyway, mm. um, and Andre Onana, brilliant one-handed save mm. uh, to secure all three points for United. We were absolutely desperate for those points because they'd, they'd lost the first two games at home to Copenhagen. Didn't look for a long time as if they'd be winning because they didn't really create much. It was a pretty ropey performance I think the manner of the win will feel very positive because it happened late and then Onana made that fantastic save and there's a lot of positive momentum the crowd were really up for it players were celebrating with Onana which was really I think touching to see and you could you could tell that they like him and and wanted to support him I mean he had just saved a penalty no no but I think there was an extra element of you know you showed them we Mm. love you sort of uh, heartwarming uh, togetherness. Could be the making of this dressing room, you feel? Uh, certainly the making of Onana, I think. He's, mm. he's changed perceptions with that single single save already to, to an extent. Um, but United were pretty bad it's throughout nice. the game. It's nice for United that they got a win in the Champions League after almost two years, but it was a 1-0 victory against a side that's collected one point in the last decade in the Champions League. Yeah, I mean, this Copenhagen team are not bad. We've, we've seen that. Mm. Away to Istanbul, they had the lead until they had a player sent off. They gave Bayern a real scare in in Copenhagen. And Bayern came back from, I think, being 1-0 down and needed a lot of hard work to to win that game. So, but still, but still just oh. judging United on their, on their own terms... Mm. There was so little happening. I mean, Anthony was completely ineffective. The midfield looked very uninspired. Hoyland uh, had almost nothing to work with. I mean, he was working hard and holding up the ball well as ever, but had no real opportunity that I can remember. Are we any? Are we anywhere different to where we were under Solskjaer? Yeah, we are. Of course, it's different. It's different because Ten Hag has been able to buy the players that he wanted, and I think. To quote Jurgen Klopp, a bad plan is still better than no plan at all. And I think this United team have given Ten Hag the keys to to Old Trafford and Carrington and said, you put your team together. And while it's still 
not perfect in terms of recruitment. At least he's buying the player that he wants and he's playing or is beginning to play the kind of football that he wants. And I think that bodes better than this mishmash that they had before when it was even sort of implicit policy to buy a, a squad that could work for any style and any manager, which <laughs> is a novel case. idea yeah. and interesting one, but I don't think really worked in, worked in practice so well. Mm. Michael, uh, speaking of changing perceptions, Harry Maguire, previously target of much opprobrium, but I keep reading positive things about him now, and indeed he's played 17 games for United, lost 17 he's played. They've won 16 of them. How has he, <laughs> how has he become key? Is that true? Yeah. yeah well, keep, I mean, he keeps referencing it as well. So, uh, I've not seen someone reference win percentages as much for a long time, and it's slightly Tim skewed, Sherwood? obviously. Yeah, maybe, but because he does tend, to, he has recently been playing in lesser games. But mm. it is good to see him overcome his difficulties. And you know, there was a nice interview at the end with him and, and Nana both having come through. Was he way. leaning on the on the wall? He wasn't wall leaning this time, no. Right. But he, it, you know, he was the club captain. He's been paid a lot of money, cost a lot of money, but it must have been a, for him personally, it must have been a tough year. And mm. yeah, I mean, I, I, don't, I don't think he's the right player for that team necessarily, but he's at least doing a job. Is there something different about the way Ten Hag's using him that? Not really. No. I mean, uh, I think this is one of those occasions where someone's probably used the headline, silenced his critics. Whereas I don't think any critics would say, yeah, you can't score headers from mm. set pieces. You know, obviously it's a small part of his job, but he is very good at that. He is a very good aerial target in, in the opposition box. Mm. Just the defensive part. Well, he wants to play on the left-hand side of the central defence and Ten Hag won't play him there, just plays him on the right. So. Mm. It's that business of him scoring, though. We had the stat on Tuesday that that was his first goal since, was it February 2022? And in the interim, he'd scored three own goals, of course. <laughs> It evens um, out. I mean, it does. I, I think there's a massive overreaction against him. Mm. He's, he's definitely not a bad player. He might not be the kind of captain that United supporters dream about. Mm. And he does have weaknesses and problems. But I don't think he's ever been a bad centre-back. Yeah, and it's, it's one of those situations where it, he's been made into this figure. And I was looking at Gazetta. Oh, yeah. Before the England-Italy game and Italian comments below the sort of preview were sort of, well, look at all the forwards England have got. And then they were all like, oh, but Maguire's playing, so we'll be fine. So, like, the fact that it's translated into a different country is, mm. is unfair on him, definitely. Yeah, who had the last laugh that night? <clears throat> exactly. Exactly. Man United, third place in the group, Bayern runaway leaders with nine. And you've got Galatasaray only a point ahead of Man United. He'll be visiting Copenhagen next. And, of course, they've got the trip to Istanbul to come. Oh, that's going to be key. Oof. Anyway, before any of that, they got the derby this weekend. Fresh from three straight victories, Man United, welcoming Man City to Old Trafford for a fixture that United actually won last time. Do you remember this? Again, yeah. hinged on that... Big turnaround. ...controversial yeah. Bruno Fernandes goal with yeah. the Marcus Rashford offside, not offside. Mm. 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 Uh, well, Duncan, you've been ranking derbies for us over the last few weeks. Mm. Uh, North London derby, very much your top. Yeah. Merseyside derby is all right, but only if it's played at Goodison. Yeah. What's your feeling about Manchester derbies at Old Trafford? Mm, I'd say they tend to be better at Old Trafford than mm. the Etihad. All right. It's a strange derby in the sense that at the start of the Premier League era, United was so much better than City, obviously, and didn't lose for, for years. Then there was the um, Sean Gota, Gary Neville being crossed at Peter Schmeichel game at Main Road. Um, and obviously recently there's been a weird trend where City have been really good at Old Trafford last year, accepted, and United have been pretty good at the Etihad. So has seen a lot of away wins. Yeah, it's, it's a pretty good game. It's an, a, it's an un unusual but good time slot. Mm. Why is it at 3.30 on Sunday afternoon? The police didn't like 4.30, but apparently one hour earlier is better. What so. about two? What about two? Well, just that that's another regular time slot on, on Sunday. Because instead... No, I think that would have clashed with the other two o'clock kickoffs. Right. Because this is the main pick. Well, for I think it would be as, yeah, on, the Super Sunday, Sunday 4.30. And they're like, yeah, 4.30 is fine. Although the clocks do go back, so well, technically it's 4.30. But that, yeah, that's the, it's just the worst weekend for it, isn't it? Mm. Because I think people will look at their kind of... Yeah. foot mob app mm. or whatever I think they haven't factored yeah exactly but that's a 4.30 kick off they got that wrong mm. someone's going to make that mistake so tune in for the first half and get ahead of the public wow I, my hot take on Premier League derbies mm. okay. 
Is that at the moment all the derbies kind of involve one of the top clubs? So there's kind of bigger things at stake. Was what I miss is a kind mm. of Southampton, Portsmouth, Villa Birmingham, Villa Birmingham, yeah. Newcastle, Sunderland, uh, Cardiff, Swansea. Yeah. Games were like as a neutral. Mm. You tune in and be like, I'll just get really invested in this for a couple of hours. And yeah. I think the lack of them is why sometimes you're looking at the televised fixtures and it feels like there's quite a lot of bad games on so far. Or un- unappetising fixtures so right. far this season. Why, why have they disappeared, these? Well, just because one of those clubs is, is not involved. You I know. see. But Newcastle, Sunderland, that, that would always be on television and that'd be a massive deal. Mm. Excellent. Uh, should we have a look at the other games that are on this weekend? If you like. We or... can reminisce about the games that used to happen. But no, <laughs> it probably won't be very interesting. Uh, let's see. The Premier League weekend begins on Friday. Spurs, who are now two points clear after Monday's win against Fulham, are at Palace Friday night. Saturday, Chelsea-Brentford are the early game. Then you've got Arsenal-Sheffield United at three, along with Bournemouth-Burnley. At 5.30 Saturday, Wolves take on Newcastle. Sunday, a bit weird, West Ham-Everton, the early game, but it's on at one o'clock. Is that, this is big news about the clocks going back. So does that mean it's two o'clock in, in old time or, or actually midday? If, if you're a British summertime ultra, then it's at two. And, and okay, the, so... So, yeah, I mean... Had I might just not change my clocks earlier, and pretend the police been... haven't got involved. So, right. Yeah. We've got to do this now. David Gold is no longer with us because mm. he used to do a tweet every year raging about the clocks going back. Okay. With messages like stop this madness and things right. like that. Yeah. It's for the Scottish farmers. Mm. Mm. Uh, anyway, that's on at one o'clock. West Ham Everton. Three games are on at two, but none of them are televised. That's Villa Luton, Brighton Fulham and Liverpool Forest. And then at 3.30, as mentioned, the Manchester Derby. Uh, Friday night, Crystal Palace, Spurs. Spurs, did you watch the Fulham win Monday night? Mm. Yeah. Hmm. What, what are your thoughts, Michael? Well, it's just weird. Like The goals were so similar. Hmm. They just had such an obvious plan to take advantage of the fact that Bassey's not very good at playing out, especially when he's on the right of a, you know... Maybe Harry Maguire could. Actually, Harry Maguire's the opposite, isn't he? Because mm. he's right foot, but likes playing on the left. Yeah. But it was so strange. I mean, so many goals these days in, in top-level Premier League football just come from pressing. I don't think there's that many teams who are really good at breaking down deep defences. But now almost everyone wants to play out. Pressing's such a big part of the game. Mm. And you've got to think in some situations, I'm not saying just play route one football, but you've got to relieve the pressure when you've got a player who's just so uncomfortable on the ball. Right, thank you for I mean, watching. it's... It's even more visible in the EFL because the teams are doing it there but are even less adept at yeah. playing out. And honestly, the goals per game are up because there's so many goals from turnovers on the edge of the box. Good Are Spurs your favourite team to watch right now, Michael? No, they are fun though, aren't they? Because mm. they, they've mixed... They've got a real tactical identity but they've also got individuals who are given a bit of freedom. I mean, Madison has been fantastic. Every game I've seen him, he's been really good. Son, after a dreadful season last time out. Uh, has got his shooting boots on. Richarlison's not playing very well, but he's still quite fun to watch because I think you kind of want him to come good. He's matched his goal involvement total from last season already, so he's doing all right. <laughs> or he wasn't doing very well last yeah. year. But And they got players... I mean, Ben Tanker's back in training. He mm. was so good mm. last year. I mean, he was basically their best player for yeah. a spell before he went out injured. So, no, they've been, they've been excellent. I mean, obviously, people are saying they've had an easy start and, you know, it's not going to last, but... Weirdly, if they beat Palace, they'll go five points clear. Five for, points clear. For a little bit, at least. Mm. They've not been five or more points clear since the end of the 1960-61 season, which is the last time they, they won the league. Good Lord. That's a long time. Well, I remember that inc- extraordinary stat you had about the number of days they've been on top of the Premier League. Where are we at with now? Have they overtaken Norwich? They've not reached Norwich yet, no. They're, they must be nearing 100 now, which is... Um, which is slowly eroding the quality of that stat, which is sad to see. It's <laughs> sad to see, isn't it? Like a magnificent sandcastle and the tide's coming mm, in. True. Will the tide come in Friday night further? Is it a castle built from sand, I wonder? Wow. Australian sand. Australian sand. Yeah, and Poster Cogley, quick mention, for the fact that he is currently enjoying the best start of any manager ever in the Premier League. I mean, it will be funny if an Australian manager wins the Premier League before an English manager does. Who would have, <laughs> who would have suspected? <laughs> Uh, as you mentioned, they can go five points clear on Friday, at least while we wait for Arsenal to take on Sheffield United. That's three o'clock Saturday afternoon. Arsenal were in action on Tuesday. Michael, a game you watched away in Seville. Gabriel's uh, Jesus and Martinelli here. Yeah, this was quite a good game. There's quite a lot going on. It's almost like there was different phases in the game. 
I thought Arsenal started a bit nervily. Then Gabriel Jesus, I thought, played really, really well, constantly releasing Martinelli. Obviously, the goal he scored himself was fantastic. And then Arsenal had to really hold on late in the game, which they just about did. But I think it would be a bit of outcome bias to say, oh, they've, you know, it was a real resilient display because they were panicking late on. And that punch over his own bar from David Raya. Mm. I know he's getting a lot of focus at the moment. I don't want to pile on because I feel a bit sorry for him. But that was an extraordinary piece of goalkeeping. He's Describe also really good at catching. So yeah. like, that was a, it seemed easier to catch than punch. Well, he came quite a long way to get a wide free kick swung into the box. And then it was almost like a batsman edging it, wasn't it? He, he managed to punch it behind him. Mm. But it did at least get enough distance on the punch that it went over his own bar. Mm. But it was strange because I thought Arteta was... Speaking like he was the one who was very commanding it mm. at crosses. But it's a strange situation. I know this is a big hot topic, the Arsenal goalkeeping thing. But I think Arteta's just played it in a slightly weird way. Mm. Because what he's done, when you look at the selection, he's just brought in a new goalkeeper and made him number one. That seems quite clear cut. But the way he phrased it, like he was going to mix and match between these two keepers or he said he you know, had previously thought of subbing one on, one off. If you say that at the beginning, that constantly invite speculation about which one he's going to play mm. and I don't think that's very helpful for Raya I mean it's a big step up Brentford to Arsenal in terms of expectations in terms of pressure in terms of playing style he's 28 as well so it's quite a, a late jump and he's been thrust into this with his manager saying you know inviting speculation about whether he'll start well, I, doesn't it, seem very helpful to it me. is the hot topic and we need a clip for the social so say something controversial about Aaron Ramsdale maybe coming back in this weekend against his former side Sheffield United well I don't think he'll come back yet oh no way I mean Ateta's point is what is the difference why can't a centre-back be under pressure to keep his place and and a goalkeeper can't and I'd never really thought about it that way because it is such established wisdom that goalkeepers are different and they need the backing and stuff. And maybe maybe things will change. Maybe they become more used to having that lack of certainty that all the other outfield players I have mean, to I guess with. the end point is that, and we're probably heading that way, is that goalkeepers are so more valued for kicking that you just rotate any player in and out of goal as you as you feel like it, as in who are playing in the match. As mm. fly, flying subs, you mean? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Olivier Giroud. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't. I completely agree with Rafa. I think it's a perfectly valid point and a perfectly valid thing for him to think. But none of us are goalkeepers; they're different. No, Michael. but to actually, breed. but to actually announce, you know, to actually yeah, say it in a thing. press conference, he, he specifically said it was like a rotation yeah, thing, and, and it's, not and it's because he's, he's, you know, he's actively made the decision to essentially replace the goalkeeper who was in the PFA team of the year last year. Mm. It's not like Ramsdale got injured; they signed a backup, and then there's a competition. He's brought someone in, said, right. I could sub you midway through a game. It's I, I think that does pile the pressure on on Raya. But I think if he just brought him in and said, "Look, we're going to start him as my number one," which he has done, there wouldn't be so much pressure. But what he does need, he just needs a banana moment. You know, as Rafa said, one one moment for Manchester United can can transform his the perception and his confidence levels. Raya just needs probably a couple of big saves. Yeah, unless Arteta does bring back Ramsdale in a few games and does actually change them. It looks as if, as Michael said, he made a decision to change the goalkeeper but sold it in a kind of novel, innovative way as I'm not actually replacing my number one. I'm sort of opening up a race and why should it be hmm. that we have a number one? Why can't they both? But I think he just kind of fudged the issue, maybe thinking that's going to take away from the fallout hmm. towards Ramsdale because Ramsdale might still think I have a chance. Hmm. But, but it's weird the public just started, to, just would speculate even more as a result but it's weird because he, you know Arteta's not been shy in his time at Arsenal of getting rid of players he doesn't want and it, maybe it is because Ramsdale is, is so popular he's a, you know the fans really like him he's, he's Rambo not actually Rambo mm. not actually right. well did you see a, by the way um, yeah. this is slightly old news but did you see uh, Mikhail Mudrik saying that the goalkeeping coach of Chelsea had told him <gasps> Raya does come out of the goal quite a lot for crosses. Right. And that he actually aimed for a goal. I did not see that. Yeah. Interesting. I don't know if I want to believe it. I mean, I believe the first bit that he was told mm -hmm. um, he does come out. I'm because not sure you can score a goal deliberately glance. that way. Because of Peruzzi against uh, Borussia Dortmund back in the day. Mm. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, anyway, this clash with... But that was, that yeah. was from the... That wasn't a cross. That was clearly no, no. a shot. But it was it, again. They've been told. Yeah, he comes out. Do him. Lars Ricken. 
Nice. Uh, Sheffield United are the opponents for Arsenal this weekend. Arsenal are unbeaten. Played still winless. Sheffield United actually haven't won this fixture in a very long time. Do you know when? Uh, since two weeks after Mr. Tickle, the first Mr. Men, came out in 1971, which is interesting because that's right. a, a story about a man with mischievous arms. Right. And one of the most famous games seen Arsenal-Sheffield United stemmed from Ray Parlis throwing <laughs> um, in the FA Cup, and they ended up replaying the game. So, it, just saying. Do you, know, do you know what else is weirdly appropriate about that last victory for Sheffield United away to Arsenal? Came in August 1971. Number one at the time was I'm Still Waiting. By Diana Ross. I'm still waiting by Diana Ramsdale. Ross was number one last time Sheffield United won away to Arsenal. And indeed, the Blades are still waiting for their first victory of the Premier League campaign. I am praying they give this game to Jonathan Pearson, match of the day, because uh, what magic he will work with his <laughs> intro. He would like that. He will indeed. Never uh, heard that Diana Ross song. Yeah, I, I, I was going to say, I don't know that song either. I'm still waiting. Oh, oh. I mean, what a month. You could read Mr. Tickle, you could listen to that. Different times. Yeah, different times. <laughs> different times. Mm. Much like the fixtures on Sunday. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Elsewhere, what catches... <laughs> Elsewhere, what catches your eye? Perhaps it is one o'clock's. West Ham, Everton. Not a good week for the Toffees. I mean, first of all, on a very serious note, uh, Chairman Bill Kenwright uh, passed away on Tuesday. He'd been part of the board since 1999 and approaching 20 years as chairman of the club. Uh, Wednesday, then, the news that the Premier League are considering a 12-point points deduction over this issue with uh, alleged breaches of the financial fair play rules. Next up, they've got David Moyes as well. And the Hammers have got a terrific record against the Toffees. They've won four of the last six meetings. Big game, big game for West Ham and Everton. West Ham got Olympiacos Thursday night. Are you pumped up for this one? Will this catch your eye as a neutral, Michael? West Ham Olympiacos? No, well, yeah, or West Ham Everton, more specifically. Mm. Yeah, why not? It could be all right. Okay, could be. I mean, Moyes against Daesh is, you know, it wouldn't be top of my list, with all due respect. But this is the new Moyes. Yeah, bit, bit like the old Moyes, I think. <laughs> Well, that game taking place early Sunday. But in the meantime, headlines for Everton filled with news of this massive-sounding 12-point deduction. This story's been out there for a while, but has the threat of a points penalty suddenly become much more real? Let's hear now from the Athletics' Matt Slater. Matt, you've been keeping an eye on this story. What's happened this week to prompt talk of a 12-point penalty? Yesterday, which was Wednesday... Um, the Daily Telegraph reported that the Premier League, who are one of the parties in this dispute, are asking for the maximum penalty, which is up to 12 points. Uh, and that has got, that's sort of exercised everyone's minds and prompted everyone to sort of, you know, react to that. I have already reported that the Premier League would be looking for a points deduction. I didn't know the number. And it's not really up to the Premier League. The whole point is this goes to a third party, this goes to an independent commission, and it's up to them to decide what the penalty is, and they have a whole range of things they can do, and they have sweeping powers. And I think the other thing to point out is that this is entirely unprecedented for the Premier League. It happens quite regularly in the English Football League, so we can look at loads of precedents where the EFL has charged a club with a breach of their financial fair play rules, which are very similar to the Premier League's, and the the club has then defended itself in front of this this panel, which are nearly always three people. And what's tended to happen is the EFL will ask for I don't know, depending on the the what's what they've done, three points, six points, nine points, and the panel will go okay about half of that, and maybe we'll suspend some of it. So if if there is a sort of series of precedents, it's of the league, if you like, the prosecutor saying, we think this is a really egregious breach and we want six points. And the panel going, OK, let's let's hear the club's mitigation and the club 
you know, making its points, maybe accepting some of them, disputing others and saying, all right, hold our hands up, but we did our best and saying, OK, we'll go three points and maybe three points further suspended for a couple of years. So that's that, that's what tends to happen. The reason we are having this conversation today is that the Daily Telegraph yesterday said the Premier League want the lot. They want 12 right. points. OK, well, I guess a lot will depend on what kind of mitigation the Toffees can offer. I'm not sure how, how much is known about their defensive case. The disciplinary hearing did begin last week. The verdict is expected this year. Would you like to have a wild ballpark figure style pun <laughs> on what you think is going to be the likely outcome? Yeah, I, I, I will. I'm happy as long as we frame it in, that, in those terms and mm. it's a wild ballpark punt. Um, I suspect they will be docked points, probably about six, but I suspect a, a, a half of those will be suspended. Oh, So, you know, I, th I think the Premier League has got itself into, well, it's under a lot of pressure from the other clubs. So that, that, that is part of this whole saga. And it is a saga. It goes back a long way. So the actual charge relates to a four-year period between 2018 and 2022. And the mitigation, well, we, we do actually know a fair amount about that. There's no dispute that Everton lost shed loads of money. They've been losing shed loads of money for five, six years. And they have, you know, if you just look, if you just count up the numbers in their accounts, they have blown the allowed threshold of losses by a mile. You know, broad, broadly speaking, they lost 370 million over that four-year period I, I mentioned, 2018-19 season to 21-22. You're allowed to lose 105 million over a three-year period. I've said it's four because the two COVID seasons are counted as one. So for the FFP purposes, you know, four becomes three. But they're miles over, three times over. Right, so what's their mitigation? What is their excuse? Well, first of all, all clubs are allowed to write off for FFP purposes certain expenses, your community, your women's team, anything you're doing on infrastructure, uh, youth development. So there's always things that come off the loss. Now, the other two key bits for Everton, very Everton specific, are Everton is building a new stadium. Everyone knows that. It's very expensive. So you can write off costs related to that as part of that infrastructure spend. And then the controversial bit about Everton is that Everton claimed very high COVID-related losses. UEFA, EFL, Premier League, all the leagues said, all right, COVID was unusual and bad. We will make allowances for COVID-related costs. Everton's COVID-related costs were way, way higher than anybody else's. 170 million, they claimed. 103 million in one season alone. So they're saying that's things like, obviously, loss of match day revenue for the season behind closed doors. But again, slightly uniquely for Everton, they're saying, well, look, we wanted to trade our way out of losses. We wanted to sell players. But at the moment we needed to sell players, the market crashed and there was no point selling our players. So that is a hit. And they've claimed that hit in their accounts. So that's part of their mitigation. That's where the row will be. Brilliant. Matt, thank you so much for summing up a complicated situation and verdict before the end of the year, you think? Absolutely. Has right. to be. Because because that whole point about justice delayed is justice denied. Various clubs think this should have been dealt with last season. It has to be dealt with quickly. Matt Slater, Ooh, talking about potential three-point hit for Everton, which would still sting, especially since they're only on seven at present, ahead of this weekend's clash with West Ham. Next up, ooh, might talk about Liverpool and the rest of the Premier League weekend. Why are so many big stars missing from the Women's Champions League? Do we really need VAR in the women's game? Have Arsenal got too many players? Hello, I'm Sophie Penny, and I'm the host of the all-new Full-Time Europe, the Athletics Women's Football Podcast. If you're a big women's football fan or a passing purveyor of the game, Full-Time Europe is answering the questions you're asking. From Man United to Lyon, Barcelona to Wolfsburg, we have you covered. That's Full-Time Europe, out every week, available wherever you're listening now. We're sponsored for this episode of The Totally Football Show by Shopify. Shopify is the global commerce platform helping you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify's there to help you grow. It's your perfect teammate, the Sutton to your Shearer, the Heskey to your Owen, the Mane and Firmino to your Salah. 
Whether you're selling I Belong to Jimbo t-shirts or Max and Barry half and half scars, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system, wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify has got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout, which is up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms. Plus, you can sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. And what's more, Shopify's award-winning 24-7 support is there to help your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Now, because you listen to The Totally Football Show, you can sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash totally, all in lowercase. So go to shopify.com slash totally to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. That's S-H-O-P-I-F-Y dot com slash totally. You're listening to The Totally Football Show with James Richardson, the Sports Podcast Awards Soccer Podcast of the Year. Bamford takes it down for Somerville. Somerville! Yes! Oh, he Crescentio Somerville stabs the ball into the back of the net. Sunday at 2 o'clock, Liverpool take on Nottingham Forest. A year to the day since Liverpool last got beaten at Anfield in the Premier League. Can you remember who did it? Who got that last visiting win? I've just read it. Oh yeah, who was it? It was Leeds United, Jesse Marsh. Last minute winner, wasn't it? Mm. I was at the game. Oh yeah, right? Yeah. uh, Leeds were having a really good time in the dressing room. They were playing... Saturday night by um, Wickfield. 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 Yeah, yeah it's blasting out. Why were they playing that? Because it was Saturday night. And they won. <laughs> All right. Because <laughs> it's Saturday night. The and they like to party. Jesse Marsh is doing the specific dance. Duncan, Forrest, I see, haven't won at Anfield since. Do you know when? Uh, late 60s. February 1969. Mm. Any popular game show, stroke children's. Uh, Tim Sherwood was a newborn baby, if you could imagine that. I certainly can. And number one at the time was If Paradise is Half as Nice by Amen Corner. The Amen Corners, I think they're traditionally held. Do you not know that? If, if Paradise that is either. Half as Nice as the Heaven That You Take Me To, Who Needs Paradise? I'd Rather Have You. I've never heard of them. What, Amen Corner? Yeah. yeah same. I, don't force me to sing this song. You must have heard this. If paradise is half as nice as oh, yeah. heaven that mm. you take me to. I think those are the words. Anyway, Liverpool host Toulouse on Thursday night in the Europa League. Hey, Villa are facing Luton Sunday at 2 o'clock. Duncan Thrillers with an Aston Villa stat. Uh, they've won 11 home games in a row. That's not the one I wanted. Oh, what one do you want? Douglas Nine Louise? games into 2023-24, mm. and they are four goals short of their entire oh, goals total. One. From 2015-16. That's incredible. Yeah. Different times. Yeah. Speaking of Tim, because was that a Tim Sherwood season? He, yeah, would have yeah. been involved that All season. Right. Yeah, among many, a cast of thousands. But yeah, I mean, it was funny because we've talked about fixtures and scheduling and stuff, but last mm. Sunday there were a few naysayers online saying, oh, it's the Super Sundays, Aston Villa, West Ham. It's actually a really good game. Yeah, and Villa are just really, just really fun to watch. So they've scored seventeen goals in the last four home games and conceded only three. And Luton, the latest team to try their luck there, is that a game that catches your eye? Although you can't watch it, Michael. What are you excited about this weekend? Manchester derby's good. Yep. Not the weekend, but I'm going to Brighton Ajax tonight. I think oh, yeah. that's going to be really exciting. That should be good. I think it's one of the most romantic fixtures if I can put it that it's way it's a shame that Ajax are totally time. rubbish at the moment yeah Although so Brighton Brian perspective <laughs> yeah Brighton I mean strong favourites I think yeah which considering I mean I know it's an obvious thing to say but it would have been a history. ridiculous thing to say a couple of yeah. years ago yeah it does sound silly doesn't it I mean I've, I remember seeing Brian play at the with Dean and you know struggling to see past the sand pit for the long jump to, to the yeah. action and now they're playing Ajax the year Ajax won the European Cup in 94-95, Brighton lost in the FA Cup to lowly Kingstonian. Never oh, heard of that one. Mm. So that's very exciting. That's amazing. Will there be a Fatboy Slim concert? Or is it only for the away games? Is that a thing? I wasn't I aware think they're was pairing up the away games with oh, Fatboy wow. Slim. Slim, sorry, Fatboy Slim. Uh, I wasn't excellent. aware of that. Yeah, well... Good venues, Amsterdam, Marseille, and Athens. Athens, yeah. Athens. very, yeah. very Athens. Euro trance, I'd say. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's excellent. Uh, anything in particular wrong with Brighton? Do you think? Because as you mentioned, they they've gone off the boil a little bit. 
No, but they have... I mean, they've suffered a couple of really bad injury problems this week. A solid March. It sounds like it's going to be out for a long time. And Deserbi was quite coy, quite vague about the prognosis, but it sounds quite bad. And Danny Welbeck as well is going to be out for a period. Uh, whenever I've seen them, I don't think they've... I think they've been slightly unfortunate not to get better results. Mm. But uh, yeah, March is a blow. I think he was gearing up to have a really good season. He's so versatile as well. He's played almost everywhere. So I'm, I'm quite disappointed for him. Okay. Brighton have Fulham at the weekend. That's on Sunday. Uh, also this weekend, Chelsea taking on Brentford, who've actually won both of their Premier League visits to Stamford Bridge and are unbeaten in their last 12 Premier League London derbies. That's remarkable. Uh, Wolves are up against Newcastle. That could be a very interesting game. That's Saturday at 5.30. Wolves, one of the form teams really in the Premier League. Did you enjoy, did you catch Gary O'Neill explaining mm. how he works his magic against Bournemouth, his old club, but also how he beat Man City in great deal detail in that uh, Monday Night Football Spurs-Fulham coverage? Extraordinary detail, um, including footage from the training pitch, which is very rare. Um, yeah, I think a lot of people before thought maybe... You know, oh, the guest is Gary Neal, and then he was he was pretty interesting. I mean, you know, I think he was quite uh, loquacious about his methods, shall we say? Mm. Um, and it they, was like a presentation, a little bit. It was like almost like he was auditioning for a job. Yeah, somewhere. which is essentially what he did at Wolves in the right. summer and, and impressed them. So we we kind of saw what Wolves saw, and mm. I mean, it, the fact they're playing Newcastle is quite funny because. I imagine the conversation between Gary Neal and Eddie Howe were incredibly intense coaching-related. Right. Know. Bournemouth alumni, of course. Mm. They have that. But I, I do think managers, often out-of-work managers, but also kind of rising managers, they do genuinely see Monday Night Football as like a bit of a shot window, don't mm. they? I think you're maybe the fifth or sixth person to mention to me, oh, that Gary O'Neill, actually, <laughs> he knows what he's doing. So, uh, yeah. Because you Good weren't previously him. convinced. You, I remember you uh, controversially tweeting that Bournemouth were right to get rid of him in the summer. Yeah, I did think it was worth them making a change. The calibre of manager you can get now, I think I think it is worth being quite harsh with those kind of steady eddies. Maybe that's unfair on Gary O'Neill, but it must be said it hasn't paid off so far. I've been I've been proven wrong by Bournemouth's form so far this mm. season. Do you now think they should get rid of uh, unsteady Iroola? <laughs> <laughs> no, because I, I think he looked a really good manager in, in La Liga. And to be honest, I think it's... So many poor teams in the Premier League this year. Mm. I think they'll probably come good. It's a big, it's a very dramatic shift in terms of the, the football they're having to play. Right. So you do need to give it time, but they do need to get results quite yeah, quickly. And you think this weekend against Burnley. Mm. Is this weekend is huge for Iriola, I'd say. I mean, he, they have been playing better than the results suggest. They were, Gary Neal didn't mention this, but they were a little unlucky against Wolves last weekend. Um, but they really do need to beat Burnley. But I think... To Michael's point, I think Gary Neal, for instance, you can be a manager somewhere and maybe you're just doing the bare minimum to, in a sense to keep Bournemouth up. I think maybe that taught him that when he went into Wolves, maybe he needed to, you know, stick to his principles a bit more. And, you know, you can't just judge a manager in one job or one year. And, yeah, I don't know, it's interesting. But, the, the you know, the lower reaches of the Premier League are, we've seen in the last few years, you know, Wolves got um, Lopetegui in and Villa, when they were down there, tempted you know, Emery. So there is... Clubs don't need to worry if they get rid of someone who they can get in. There's there's plenty of options. Okay. Is it fair to say that the last time these two teams met at the Vitality Stadium in the Premier League, it was statistically the worst game the Premier League has ever seen? Yeah, five shots. Not five great. shots? Yeah. What, on target? No, five shots in total in the five whole match. Which there is... was a goal in the 89th minute. Yeah. Okay. There was only one shot on target. That was the goal. Mm. Why is this one regarded by Opta as the worst game in the competition's history? Well, it's the lowest uh, number of shots in a Premier League game since 2003. We discussed this before. The, oh, right. Okay, the, when people started points. Yeah. Yeah, keeping note. So Really? That's the lowest number of shots in a Premier League game? I'm going to say there's going to be more sh more than five shots in the first 20 minutes of this game. So I think I think this one will, this weekend's will sail past that mm. one. I don't want to be uh, rude about your former employers because mm. they're very helpful with, with mm. our requests for statistics. But I remember Opta in the 1990s had like data on every player. Yeah. So how come they don't have that kind of data going back further than 2002? So if you wanted seasonal totals, you could do it back to 96. But of shots? Yeah. Okay. But in terms of dividing it per game and being able to run it for an individual match, 
due to an incredibly dull database-related thing, <laughs> 2003 is, is the point. Why? Okay. What happened to the... Did they upgrade it was, a, it was a new system. It was a crazy time. Post.com boom, there were yeah. tech sales from everywhere. So um, it was exciting times. But yeah, that, as we said before, there are these weird sort of 03s, 1, 06, 07s, another one. There's these mm. little weird cut-off points. But, you know... 1992 is the main one for me. Well, that's when football started, yeah. so yeah. Mm. Hey, the Cherries have scored the fewest goals and have the worst conversion rate in the Premier League. And only Luton have produced fewer shots on target than Burnley this season. Anyway, they go at it three o'clock on Saturday in a game which will not be televised. Very good. Also this weekend, because I haven't mentioned it. Oh, no, I mean, I it probably will That's be everything. televised. It's just, just they won't here. broadcast. Ah, right. And it won't be televised. I mean, maybe Saturday. they'll just decide actually five <laughs> shots last time. Let's it'll, say. It will be televised. Just not <laughs> it will encourage people to go to the... <laughs> Local matches rather than the opposite. Absolutely. Yeah. Mm. All right. Excellent. Where are you going this weekend, Michael? Not at a game this weekend. Are you not? Actually, no. Duncan, are Wickham up to much? I'm probably going to Oxford, Wickham, yeah. And are the you? M40 Classico. Yeah. Very Big nice. Game. Best of luck with that, Raf. Manchester Derby. Are you? Yeah, really excited. Good. Really excited. All right. Yeah. Take an umbrella. I'm going to see Jeremy Doku. Okay. Doku. Yeah. Whichever way you want it, mm. playing in the flesh. It's good. Hopefully. Hopefully so. Hopefully so. Well, good. Look forward to seeing how that game turns out. Of course, Sunday evening we'll be putting another totally together with reaction to that and the rest of the weekend's action. But uh, many, many thanks for being with us today, listener. And to Rafa, Michael, Duncan, Rachel and Charlie in the booth. And to Matt as well, short time ago. Have yourself a great weekend. And we'll be back with you Sunday night, Monday morning. You've been listening to The Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. Discover bonus video content by searching for The Totally Football Show on YouTube and see the very latest subscription offers at theathletic.com slash totally. The Athletic.